Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another session of Launch AMA. Um, as always, of course, you guys know me. I'm Sam, VP Programs here at Launch, and it's our first one of the year. We're joined by Baron Patak. Um, welcome, Baron. Hey, pleasure to be here, always. Awesome. Really excited to start the new year off with you. A lot of people don't know, but you were actually our very first guest when we we started doing these launch AMAs. I think back then we called it Launch Cast. I wanted to make sure that you know it's it's been well, we're it's been two years in a pandemic later. Um, so I want to make sure that we're we're catching up. Um, but just to kick things off for for those that are meeting you for the first time, do you want to just give us a little bit of an introduction? Uh, sure. Um, originally, way back, uh, an engineer software developer uh, with a computer science degree and had a, about an eight year technical career and then decided to do something really stupid called go, go to business school. So I you know, went off to Ontario and went to business school and then spent 10 years as a management consultant with Deloitte. Um, never far from the technology business, but it was a great, you know, great opportunity to see how the rest of the world works. Uh, left that after 10 years and did my first startup on January 1st, 2003. And uh, shock of all shocks, had a, a small, modest exit, but an exit after about three and a half years from my very first startup back in the early 2000s. And uh, um, there were not many of us in Vancouver that had had any kind of exit, modest or otherwise, at that point in time. So when three friends decided to start the first incubator in Canada here in Vancouver called Boot Up Labs, uh, they asked me to mentor, um, which was really funny at the time because, you know, you think you know everything. And of course, what you know is just slightly more than the people that you're mentoring at the time but uh, have done nothing but early stage technology work with the kind of company, Sam, as you know, that Launch Academy concerns itself with uh, since then. Uh, so it's been 20 years of 100% of, uh, focus on early stage technology companies, which is the uh, best part of my professional life. I've enjoyed it thoroughly and have been involved with Ray and yourself and Launch Academy right from the very beginning. And uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be here. Awesome. That's uh, We're definitely going to go into a deeper dive into all of that. I just wanted to make sure I get some housekeeping in the, out of the way as well. If you are listening to this live, uh, we do have that Q&A feature right there. So as we're talking and we're having a conversation, this is open dialogue. If you have a question you want to ask Baron or a follow-up on one of the topics that we're talking about, just pump it in the Q&A and I'll make sure that that uh, I get flagged and I, I, I make sure we're bringing the, your questions to the forefront because it is an AMA. It's not just you know, asking Sam's questions. But since you talked about the topic, let's kind of start with like how you got connected with Ray and Launch, because I know that's a that's a long kind of kind of long origin story there. Well, I had that that little that 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 small little exit when we sold uh, I sold my first startup, which was a computer game development studio in North Vancouver, sold it to the Australian government <laughs> and started, uh, you know, you know, made the decision that I was going to try to put something back into our then very nascent community in Vancouver. There were no meetups. There was nothing. There were a few gatherings of, of computer game people, but in the broader kind of internet community, there wasn't much going on. And suddenly there was this thing called Boot Up Labs. And uh, so I sat in a room. Those were, those were the days, Sam, when we actually sat in real rooms and met people in real life. 
And um, I met five initial entrepreneurs that were renting space from launch and taking mentoring there. And one of them was this crazy fashion entrepreneur named Ray Walia, who was doing a fashion startup at the time. Can anyone believe that now? And, uh, you know, he was wearing really cool running shoes. I remember that, which uh, caught my attention right away. We had a good chat. And, you know, Ray had some problems with his startup that he wanted to talk about. And that's how I met Ray and our, you know, relationship has developed. And I think we've been able to support each other mutually over the years. And when Ray and two others who actually, uh, Jesse, Jesse Heaslip and Roger Patterson, who also were in that first group of mentorees, decided to start this thing called Launch Academy. Uh, I think it was called Hack Hut or something originally was got, the original name. You got a good name. memory. Yeah. Hack Hut was the name. But it, it changed names quickly, thank goodness, and became Launch Academy. Uh, there were a number of us in the community that, that went out of our way to make sure that we supported the three of them because we thought this was just the best idea ever. And here we are many years later, Launch has helped thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs and has had a lot of success. And you know, it's a pleasure to still be involved and help out at least in a small way occasionally. No, that's, that's, yeah, we've always appreciated your contribution. And for those of you that were around in the latter half of last year, Baron was actually one of our judges for the, the pitch competition. Um, so, so the winners have, have you to thank for that. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, that's awesome. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into to your founder history first. Like you mentioned that you started a gaming company. Was that like just an itch that, that you were curious about like did you have a pat like were you a gaming fanatic growing up or or was that just uh you saw an opportunity or something yeah the, uh, computer gaming was a little different at the time it, it wasn't the absolute crazy world that it's become with with you know esports and you know everything that's going on right now um, but I mean, I was a former developer and I had been away from developing software for 15 years at that point in time. And I really had the itch to get back to do some coding. I uh, got over it since then, but had it at the time and, and had the itch to do something entrepreneurial. I mean, I went from a 60,000 person company to a company of one overnight mm -hmm. and it was fantastic. I mean, I, it was great that I was at Deloitte. I learned an incredible amount. I met some amazing people and it changed me in so many ways. Um, but, you know, the world that we're in, the early stage world is something different again, and it's suited for some people. And I think I'm one of those people. And, and that's why I've never changed careers again. This is what, this is what I've done. And, you know, I think I've chosen to develop myself professionally in this world uh, and and figure out what I'm good at and not good at, try to get better at the bad things and uh, and leverage the good. No, for sure. And and I, I, I know you mentioned that you didn't change um, career paths from that point on, but you have changed a couple of different industries from from then to now. Right. And I'm I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but but you've done gaming, you've done fintech, you've you've done stuff, stuff in blockchain. And I'm not even talking about the companies you've advised as well. There's that's also over the map. Right. Um, when when you're when you're jumping and sometimes they're probably happening simultaneously, I'm presuming um, when you're kind of going from from industry to industry, like what kind of things cross over? I guess that's the first question. Well, this, this, you know, right about when I was starting in the early 2000s, there was this amazing concept that was invented, which 
which changed everything in terms of how we deliver innovation to, to the community, right? And this crazy concept was called Lean Startup. And no one even really talks about Lean Startup anymore because it's so burned into our DNA in terms of what we're, of what we're doing now. But I, I was just fascinated with this concept, this concept, this philosophy of doing things differently than, than the way big companies innovate, doing things that gave, give advantage to the small player. And, and to the to the young mind, if you will. And I think that those attitudes carry over no matter what you do in this world. When you innovate, um, which you know my definition of innovation is doing something new somewhere new. If, if you're innovating, then there's a set of skills and, and ways of thinking and ways of doing things that carry over. And it doesn't really matter what you're doing, those things are applicable. Doesn't mean you're going to be an expert in everything. That's certainly not the case. And there's always a market for expertise that understands fintech versus uh, edtech or whatever. Uh, never want to take away the value of people's domain knowledge, but there is an incredible carryover. And you know that's been buried, for instance, in the one the one thing that I spend a lot of time part of my life doing in all industries, which is SaaS SaaS companies. You know, SaaS is dominated uh, very deeply, has been very, very kind of deeply invaded by the concept of uh, of um, of lean startup, and it it literally took years. You can't read one book by Eric Reese with a circle on the cover and figure that that world out. It takes a while. You have to make a bunch of mistakes and have a few modest successes. And I think if anything, to answer your question, that's what's carried over and continues to carry over every hour of my professional life, even today. Yeah, yeah. And and I know that you kind of kind of gave the answer away to my 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 question even before I've even asked it. But I think one of the key things about about like lean startup is is it is kind of like a methodology, but I think knowing what you're good at as a, as a founder is also really important or what you're bad at as well, right? So so knowing that it worked for Baron doesn't mean it'll work for Sam and vice versa, no. right? And I think that grind kind of helps iterate over time as well. Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's things you learn in this process and, and you know, some, some of them have taken me a shockingly long time to learn. It just, it's not easy. I, my mind isn't any more malleable than anyone else's, but, you know, one of the things is, is that there's a factor uh, that's at play always when you're innovating that you just can't control, that you can't train for, that you can't build a methodology to eliminate completely. And that factor is luck. And, you know, even Bernd can do the same thing twice in two slightly different situations. And one time it can succeed and the next time it can fail, you know, even though it's the same person doing it. And it, you know, it may not have been your skill at executing. It may not have been your good or bad decisions. It could just be factors that were out of your control at the time. And we shouldn't forget that is that our job, you know, in the entrepreneurial world is to, is to manage um, our relationship with luck, try to be there ready and fully equipped and prepared when good luck happens and, you know, bug out quickly when bad luck is happening. <laughs> Fair enough. And then, so throughout, throughout, you know, all the different companies you've built, um, I guess outside of, of, you know, really grooming your own lean methodology, what were some of the lessons that, that you kind of picked up? Maybe across your, your different companies or, or specific things that, that you found? Well, a few things, and I guess it, it depends on what, what my role was. You, you, 
you know, I've had, I, I, I've done my own startups and like everyone really understands on this call, I don't, you know, preaching to the choir, when you do your own startup, you do every job, right? When you're mm -hmm. at least initially. Um, I think I learned the importance of knowing what you're not good at and, and at the very, very first opportunity, outsource the things you're not good at. Uh, even if you need to pay other people way more than you would pay yourself to do that. Just, just get rid of it. Give it to someone who loves it, is really good at it, and, and wakes up in the morning thinking about doing that job. And uh, you know, that's one of the things I encourage my mentees and our portfolio companies to think about is, you know, you get this question all the time, you know, is it, is it time for me to hire an administrative person or a CFO or, you know, insert your favorite role here? Um, uh, yeah, probably if you're, if you're tired of doing it and not doing a good job of it, it's probably time. And that's, you know, that's one of the big lessons is don't, don't try to do everything yourself. Um, the other thing is you, you need a certain amount, I would say a healthy amount of confidence in this business because so many things work against you when you're innovating. You need a certain amount of confidence and the line between, between confidence and arrogance is is so fine and it's very easy for for us in this world when we have a little bit of success which i'll remind you has a lot to do with luck as well is to feel that it's our great execution ability and 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 we slip from confidence to arrogance and that's when we scale prematurely that's when we made bad make bad decisions that when that's when we get into business relationships with people that you know, our gut told us we shouldn't get into relationships with, and that's when bad stuff happens. So, you know, watch out for that luck factor, watch <laughs> your arrogance, don't try to do the things you're not good at uh, beyond the early stage. Those would be three things. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that you said that because I, I obviously like in, in my role here, I've talked to hundreds to thousands of entrepreneurs over the years. Um, there's always a running theme that, that I personally like out of, out of entrepreneurs that I deem, I guess, successful, quote unquote, uh, which is also a subjective measuring stick, by the way. Um, but, but the two things that stand out for me are always curiosity and humility. And I find that that kind of combination, the curiosity to not just assume your, your solution is the best solution from now on towards forever or more, right? Having the curiosity to continue to scale and build but also having the humility, like you say, to say, like, sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's the market accepting what you're building at the right time, right? Um, and it's not everything that was controlled because, you know, we have a kick-ass team and we might have a kick-ass team. Um, on the subject of teams, though, I know one of the things you touched on was, you know, trying to find team members that that kind of complement your skill sets. Um, and and I've heard kind of two two ways of thinking in terms of building your team. One of them is you obviously want to, or not obvious, but you want to work with people that you get along with, good chemistry, things like that. And generally speaking, some of these will be more like-minded to you. The other kind of school um, is you want to have people that may think differently from you, um, that have different skill sets, and maybe in theory, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here, be more argumentative, um, but that makes your your company more of more complete. Um, in terms of hiring and, and more so I want to cater this to, to the entrepreneurs in the room and, and those that are trying to build up their early team or even perhaps looking for co-founders, like what would you suggest looking for and, and maybe where, where on that scale do you fit? Well, it, 
This is interesting. You know, I spent those 10 years at Deloitte, which is a big, huge organization. It's been around for a hundred and some odd years, has a very developed culture. And one of the one of the qualities that I always appreciated about Deloitte is they they have a certain um, attitude that they try to instill in you. When there's a group of people discussing an issue and trying to make a decision, if if you see nothing but agreement happening, it's your job to be the contrarian. Find the reason to say, I disagree. You know, be the, be the fly in the ointment and throw other alternatives and other ways of thinking. But when the decision is made, and sometimes the decision is made by the person in charge, you know, because we deal with clients in that situation, sometimes the decision is made by the group, by majority, or by some subset of the group that's ultimately accountable for the result. But once the decision is made, you got to let your disagreement go and everyone needs to commit to the decision that was made and be 100% in favor and pushing hard with a shoulder to the wheel. You can't let your contrarianism um, uh, destroy the opportunity for good execution later. And I think that's, you know, what I look for is I specifically look for, you know, to work with people and, and you know, in, in life, people that think differently than I do. Um, but at some point in time, you have to make a decision and I have to let my position go. And sometimes other people let their positions go and then we both jump on the same, you know, in the same boat and start rowing. So, you know, I, I like most answers, it's a balance between those two things, Sam. It's, yep. it's, it's, you know, you see entrepreneurs that hire nothing but people just like them. And, you know, a lot of those entrepreneurs end up not being successful. You also hire entrepreneurs that, that don't hire for culture. And you see a lot of those not being successful. So obviously, you know, uh, the, the middle of the success curve is somewhere between those, those two extremes. For sure, for sure. And and do you, is that something that, and I'm going to dive into North Mark in a second, but is that something that you see commonly in, in the companies that, that have conversations with you um, where where very, very early on you're able to see the, I guess, the dichotomy between between the founders and, and their relationship and how they work together? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, the startups that, that put a smile on my face that just are just killing it or could kill it, right? Because they're on the verge of something. They, they always have, they have co-founders, you know, very often they're a co-founder rather than a single founder situation. And the, the co-founders are, are quite a bit different from each other. There's part, part, you know, part of their lives they see eye to eye and part they don't. And it's, it's the act of figuring each other out and constantly coming to agreement. That's what results in good decisions and good outcomes and good thinking and uh, and good alternatives being developed. Uh, you know, that's that's what I see. And, you know, I've always liked co-founding teams. I told myself after I did my startup by myself as a sole founder that I would not do another startup by myself. And I haven't. I, I have not been involved in another business myself that 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 I did by myself. Um, I like teams. I think it just works well and um, just have to have the right right people involved for you. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So so definitely I'm seeing some questions on the board about, about investing. So before I get into that, um, I know we should have done it in the intro probably, but do you just want to talk a little bit about, about Northmark Ventures and, and your role yeah. in it and what, what your guys' kind of thesis is? Sure. Um, you know, in the early part of my career, I had all the roles you could imagine. I, I was, I've been a co-founder several times 
Um, I've been a CEO for other people's companies. I've been a CFO for other companies. I've been a COO for other companies and my own companies that I was co-founder of. I've done all those things. In the course of that, you, you see the full breadth of the quote unquote startup game, you know, the innovation space. And like all of us, I try to figure out what I enjoy, what I think I'm good at, what, what, I, what gets me out of bed in the morning, and what I determined at some point, and it was not at the beginning, it was much farther along, probably about halfway, maybe after 10 years, uh, you know, I started to have a lot of interaction with, with institutional investors, and I slowly got really into that side of the business. I mean, I you know, started to say, you know, I think maybe that's my best contribution to this world is, is, is from over there. Uh, and that was a tall order at the time, because I didn't have, you know, didn't have the kind of capital to be able to just say, I'm now going to be an investor, right? I, um, it just wasn't going to happen the way it, it does, it doesn't for most people that enter that world. But slowly over time, I worked my way to my goal, which was to end up on the investment side of the house. And that's where I've been for the last few years and had the opportunity to co-found an investment firm with two great, fantastic partners, um, David Larkin and Chris Lane. Uh, we run a firm called Northmark and Northmark is a, a high value add investment firm. We invest only our own funds. We don't have limited partners, so we're not answerable to anyone else. Um, and we focus on what we call hard technology. So hard technology is, is stuff that has a good defensive moat, um, uh, technology like FinTech and so on, where it's not easy to copy. Uh, and there's, uh, there's some real science and some real thinking and some real hard work that has gone into the product and therefore into the value proposition. So we've been doing that for about six years now. We've been very successful. Uh, we're doing well. And I, it gets me out of bed every morning. I just love what I do. I absolutely love what I do and uh, can't imagine doing anything else. That's terrific. And um, as I understand it, you, you guys do invest in companies. Is it all over the world or is it mainly North America? It has been in North America. And uh, however, we're about to take a step into, uh, into the European side of things. Uh, that might see me overseas for a little while to to initiate that. And, uh, you know, I've, I did that with our business in the United States as well. I moved down there for a while in order to, to get that going. Um, but, uh, you know, we're open now to the right kind of investments. Um, uh, and the right kinds of investments, you know, we we have our thesis uh, the way the way everyone has their thesis, and some of that has to do with the type of company, and some of them has to do with how we're introduced to that company. Awesome, yeah. And I think I think the question I have here from the crowd is 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 specific about the the Canadian startup scene. Uh, Michael wants to know how prevalent are the use of safes in the Canadian investment space, and kind of what are your thoughts on that yeah. in general? So. I do see them now and then. I see them proposed by by founders. I even see some uh, angel investors signing up for them. They are not very prevalent in Canada, and we at Northmark do not do safes. We will not participate in a safe. We will participate and regularly participate in convertibles, which is, as you know, a slightly different spin on it. That's a little more balanced, but um, we we believe that safes result in a divergence of interests between the a potential divergence of interest between the founding team and the investor and uh, a convertible 
conveniently converges the interest between the investor and the, and the founding team. And we always like to be on the same page with our founders. So uh, that's, uh, that's our view. And you'll find that pretty much universally institutional investors will not do safes in Canada. There are some angels that will, but not nearly to the stage that Americans will, uh, you know, in the crazier markets where access is the biggest problem, uh, people will sign up to almost anything. It seems um, we don't like safes ourselves. Mm -hmm. and are reasons. you finding that that's across Canada? Or is it BC centric or no? No, it's it's across it's across Canada. We have a we tend to have a more conservative, more careful investor community in Canada. And, uh, you know, there'll be lots of people, lots of people that say, oh, that's terrible and Canadians don't take enough risk and so on and so forth. I, that's not my observation, not what I see. We're plenty good at taking risks, but we have a different market here. We have fewer companies and smaller companies and, and higher risk uh, than, than the people you hear from uh, in, the, in the Twitter sphere in the United States. So as a result, our investment theses are a little different in Canada, but it is a, it is pretty universal. That's my observation. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so staying on that topic of, of investment from, from maybe a Northmark perspective or your own perspective, like what are your thoughts when you see a solo founding team, right? Like obviously you have your own preference if you were to do another startup that you want to work in a group, but when, you know, when a cool company lands on, on your inbox, um, how much does kind of being a solo founder affect your kind of decision-making? Um, it doesn't directly, but it does indirectly. <laughs> so here's, here's a tip, right? And this was a hard lesson for me as a founder. But the number one characteristic, the number one thing that your business has to show to someone who you want to take money from is you, you, you have to show that you're trustworthy, that the inevitably unanticipated situations in the future that are gonna happen will be handled honestly and, and, and that there'll be good communication uh, and that, that you treat people fairly. Uh, it is very easy for one person to lie and when I say lie, I don't necessarily mean, you know, Sam Chan lying to me because Sam Chan could be lying to himself as well. And that's usually how lying occurs. It's, it's, it's a broad deception. It's not an attempt to deceive an individual, but we're all kidding ourselves. It's much harder for two people to lie together because they would have had to have a debate about that. Or if, if, if they are evil, quote unquote, then they, they'd have to be pretty tight to be able to pull that off and be really good communicators. So I find it, I find it easier for a founding team to start to create that early trust, which is so important, which leads to all the other things that we look for and that any other investor would look for in a company. And that's not to say individual founders can't, and many do and have with us. We, you know, we are, we are invested in solo founders and, and have no problem with it. But I just find it easier that a founding team, because, you know, you chat with them individually and together and you hear different perspectives. And that starts to build that feeling of understanding of knowing what's going on in that founding team and where people are coming from. And so it's an indirect 
impact rather than a direct one, if that makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. Hopefully that's helpful. Um, yeah. And so, so now that we're, we're kind of talking about that part of the investment process, like I remember when we talked to, it was a couple of years ago now, right? You, you mentioned like that your due diligence is, is a big part. Uh, not you specifically, I mean, I mean, you know, your firm. Um, but what what does that entail? Are you able to kind of walk us through, you know, briefly what that process generally looks yeah. like from, say, the introduction of like, hey, here's company A to to what that process looks like for, for you guys specifically? Yeah. Interestingly, um, I worked for a while before I started with Northmark, I worked for a while um, with a company called Espresso Capital. Many of you guys know Espresso Capital. They're a, um, a venture lender in Canada. They were the first, and I think they might still be the biggest, very successful business. But um, I did 24 due diligences for them. And that was in addition to other due diligences I did on a contract basis uh, for Deloitte and for others. Um, so you get to do a lot. And what I learned is the limitations of due diligence, because you learn a bunch of facts. You don't learn all the facts, uh, but there are limits to what a due diligence will do for you. So at Northmark, we have a little different attitude. One of the things that's unique about Northmark is Northmark is the 100% owner of a company called Make IT. Make IT is a software development firm. And we have staff and that, you know, a couple of dozen staff and those staff do development for clients for dollars, right? They're in the commercial world. But what we also do is when we make an investment in a firm, sometimes that investment comes, for instance, it's a very common model, half cash, half in the form of development services. And we provide those development services at a discount cheaper than you could buy it. And you don't have to hire, you can start immediately. So it's beneficial for founders. What do you need? Money and people. And, you know, we, we try to give our founders, we give our founders both. But very often, we will start that technology work. We will start by supporting the company with the product before we make an investment. Hmm. And we consider that technology work as part of our due diligence because we work together. And that's when you really get to know someone, when things go right and wrong and when, when people change their minds about things and when you discover things together about the marketplace that you didn't know before and you have to change your direction. That's the best due diligence. The best due diligence you will ever do for an investment, for an investor, because you as a founder should be doing a due diligence on your investor as well, for someone you might want to hire, for someone you might want to work with or for. All of those require due diligences, and the best way to do it is just to start working together. Okay, so so from from and obviously I think I think what we can figure out really quickly is is you don't have time to work with every company that that hits in your inbox. How do no. you how do you get into that point? Is it pure interest from from that? Is it, is it strong referrals? How do you kind of get your foot in the door for in the first place? We have never taken an investment from a cold call. Not once. And I, I'm going to go a step farther. I know of no institutional investor who has ever taken an investment <laughs> from a cold call, 
ever in in Canada or my or my colleagues in the United States. It is very, very, very rare. There are some angel investors who have made small investments with people that they've just met or met firsthand, mm. but it's essentially always through a referral. If you if you want to to talk to us about an investment as an example, worst thing you can do is cold cold email me. It it you know it probably won't work. And I'm giving you that information honestly. The best thing is to find out who we know in common that I already have a relationship with and that or that my partners already have a relationship with that can vouch for you. And I can say, hey, this is interesting and there's good things happening there and so on. So that's the first thing, Sam, is is just how you're introduced to someone makes such a difference. And you know, I'm not a big believer in 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 cold calls. I don't do, I don't do them myself very often in life. I, I try to find a better way, and it usually starts with that. Then, uh, you know, the situation has to fit our thesis. And the most important part part of our thesis is: can we, as the Northmark partners, can we help that entrepreneur? Because if we're just going to sit back, you know take phone calls, get an update once a month and, and see how it's going. That's not good enough for us. We, we want to, by, by virtue of our presence, want to improve the chances of that business succeeding. So we want to know how we're going to help. And we want that entrepreneur to tell us how they're counting on us to help. And writing a check is not the only way and can't be the only way. So once those two things are out of the way, then the world's our oyster and we, we, we figure out the rest together. Mm-hmm. And then, so speaking from your your perspective as as a potential founder going out and trying to to decide and do due diligence on potential firms or angels or whatever to invest in your company, what would be the kind of due diligence that you would do now? If I was a founder looking for an investor, yeah. yeah. Well, first thing is, do I do I? You know, taking money from someone is a little like a marriage. You know, it's it's an it's a it's a relationship of indeterminate length, right? Five to seven years minimum. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. Minimum, right? And so you need to understand that you've got to want to be in a room with these people under difficult circumstances with with impossibly difficult decisions to make. If these are not the kind of people you want to be in that room with making those decisions, don't take their money. Don't do it. Um, second of all, how are they going to help you? Not just now in this stage, but how are they going to help you in the future? Is, you know, do they have experience? Do they have relationships? You know, do they have more money later? You know, what, what, how are they, how are they going to help? And the best way to find that out is to find out how they've helped other people, uh, with similar problems. Um, you know, we do reference checks and you should as well. It, it's 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 simple, basic, common sense. Uh, but in the end, when it's time to make a decision, uh, and when you've when you've gathered all the information you can gather, and you've done that competently, and and you've been open to the possibility of hearing bad news, because you know we're all able to shut our ears to things we don't want to hear. But once you once you have that, you got to remember that this computer does not. Um, process as much information as as the gut computer, right? <laughs> and it's the gut computer that you want to listen to. Does this feel right? Does it smell right? You know, do my two computers align in terms of their recommendation vis-a-vis vis 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 this investor? 
And I think you want to be very, very careful. Those when you take people's money, that's money coming out of the coming out of, out of somebody, some family's bank account, right? That's some kids university money being invested and you are responsible for the best of your ability to give that money back with a return. If you can't sign up for that, don't take money from other people, bootstrap your business, which is a great option, by the way. That's what I did with my first startup. I didn't take any money. Um, but understand you're taking that on. And if you don't really like these people and want to emotionally give them a return, if, if you think that that's just a, it's just business and you can do whatever you want, that's not the right investor or maybe don't take money. Mm -hmm. I learned that before I was an investor, by the way, I, <laughs> I watched, I watched those types of relationships go south. And I remember telling myself, I don't want that ever to be me. Fair enough. And then, so to kind of, kind of curve the, the investor conversation, like I know at launch, we use the term investor ready a lot. Um, and obviously you've been in so many of our pitch related events and pitches pitching is a big part of getting investor ready. What are some other methods that, that you see founders getting ready to raise? And perhaps these are, these are the people that are most um, prepared upon, upon meeting you guys at Northmark. Um, what are the, what else are they doing besides, you know, having a stellar pitch um, to, to actually build those, build those relationships. Almost everything that we do in this business and the business I mean is the innovation business, not mm -hmm. FinTech or, 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 or any sub portion of that. Almost everything we do takes months, sometimes years of preparation. It takes months or years of preparation to take your first dollar of outside money. It takes months or years of preparation to exit your business. It takes months or years uh, to, you know, to get into a good accelerator, all these things. And so the trick is, are you putting in the work and doing the right things to prepare for the next thing that you're going to need to do? If, if, if raising money is something you're going to do later in 2022, then I would be building relationships right now, not directly with the people that could write you checks, but with the people that could introduce you to people that could write you checks. And make sure those people can see you make, you know, setting goals and meeting goals that you're able to put a plan in place, execute on that plan and achieve that plan. So they start to see cycles of that going on so that they can say, hey, Sam, you know, Barron's, Barron's company is doing really well and, you know, they're killing it. And I've seen them go through a couple of cycles. They're, they're meeting their plan. You ought to look at them. And building those relationships and building that track record and making sure that people see, have visibility and transparency into that track record takes time. And it is so much easier to do it that way. I will sign up for the world's worst pitcher who has a fantastic provable track record anytime versus someone who's a really snazzy salesperson but hasn't proven squat to themselves, never mind me. And that's what I would say is find out, understand everything takes preparation, figure out what the right thing is to, to do to prepare for whatever your next big event is, and then do those things and, and, and understand that that will make your life easier. Um, better preparation and maybe waiting a little longer is better for everyone, yourself included. Mm -hmm, for sure. And, and that, that kind of triggered one, one of the things that I've definitely shared in, in past AMAs as well. 
Um, one of the things that I love that that some of our companies do is is sending out those monthly reports. Um, and by reports, I mean it's more so updates and, and you know here's what I've built in the last month. Here's where we struggled in the last month. Um, here's what broke. Here's who we hired. Here's who we fired. Um, this is what I'm looking for help with. Right. And it doesn't need to be straight to to investors. It can be your friends and just generally people who who give a crap at any level about what you're building. Right. And, and I'm still not seeing enough companies do it. So I'm going to keep harping this on because I think it's just a super easy way for, for me when I'm talking to Baron, he goes, Hey, like, who's cool. I know because I just read your email three days ago. Hey, the, the trajectory of how, how these guys are doing is really good. Like they, they fumbled at first, their first six months were not so good. The last six months they've been doing much better. Right. And now Baron's interested. Right. So so like that's something that I'm going to continue to harp on. Not to say that you have to add me to those lists, but I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, we had we had a a good exit, which was a company very very familiar and and some entrepreneurs very familiar to Launch Academy, Beanworks, earlier last year in in March of 2021. When I first got involved with Beanworks initially as an advisor. No money in nothing. I just was just advising Catherine Dahl. I mean, Catherine and I joke about this now. I mean, that company had trouble meeting any goal it set for itself. And she'll, you know, I'm not talking out of school. Catherine will be the first to tell you that. And we went from not being able to meet any goal to not being able to miss any goal that we set and growing at 100% a year, year in, year out uh, at the end of that. And that was not an easy process, but it was a pleasure to be part of it. It was a pleasure to watch that team learn to do it. And it gives you a lot of confidence. And I went from advisor to director, to board chair, to investor in that business. Um, and, you know, as our, our mutual trust increased, um, you know, our, our, our ability to help financially increased and, you know, it's back to that, word trust that we started the 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 whole conversation with for sure and and speaking of all the companies kind of you advised i kind of want to shift your attention to to kind of the the advising work you do um you've we we throw around the word mentor and advisor a lot first of all just just kind of trying to define how, do you view those as as two different things and, mm -hmm. and if so what what is what is the difference between yeah. a mentor and an advisor a, me a mentor is uh, is a is a, a an individual who helps another individual learn and develop. Mm -hmm. those, these are my definitions, right? Yeah. A a advisor advises a business, so you might be advising through the CEO or through the CFO or through the CTO, but you're really advising the business. You're trying to make the business successful. A mentor, in my definition, makes the individual successful. And a mentor relationship can, can last through multiple roles in multiple companies. An advisor relationship is generally you know, focused on one company. That's, that's how I look at it. Uh, you know, there's no dictionary definition. You can, you can choose to look at it differently if you'd like. Mm, that actually that actually helps clear things up a lot if you look at advising from from attaching to to a company um versus mentorship attaching to the people um yeah that makes a lot of sense so what what should founders look for when they're looking for either a mentor or an advisor are there traits i guess we're going to talk about about chemistry and and being in the same room together a little bit again um but what what should they look for this is there, you ask so many difficult questions sam this one's easy <laughs> 
there are a lot of people out there who are trying to convince you that they should be your mentor or your advisor, and they're going to want some compensation for that. A lot of them. Be careful. Even in Vancouver, there are people who who aren't going to help help their way out of a wet paper bag, right? The thing to look for is, has this person actually experienced what you want to experience? Mm-hmm. And I'm being very general on purpose because sometimes the best advisor for a fintech entrepreneur has nothing to do with fintech, right? I'm not going to make the judgment about what's right for you as a founder, but look at this person. Has this person achieved what you want to achieve? Have they done what you want to do? Is What is the source of the experience that they're going to use to mentor or advise you? If it's because they talk fast and they're able to convince you in a single meeting that they're going to, you know, they're going to help you because they give you one great idea that they read out of an Eric Reese book with a circle on the cover, that's not enough. The world is full of those people. Those are just people trying to stay busy and be consultants. You know, advisory or mentorship relationships are super, super important. I think most people can benefit from them in most situations. Pick someone who's been there pick someone who where you know where their experience is coming from i personally would only ever pick someone who's not just succeeded but also failed in those spaces and who can explain to you that they failed shamelessly and explain to you why they think they failed shamelessly those are you know, a few things to look for. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into a relationship like this if, if, if those things weren't present. Mm-hmm. And then, and then on the, on the similar topic and similar vein, like building an advisory board, I know that that term is kind of thrown around quite a bit. What is, I guess the, is there a right time to, to start an advisory board in terms of the, the, I guess, trajectory of your startup and what stage it's at? <laughs> um, or does it happen naturally? It's like, it's like most questions there, like, is there a right time? The unfortunate answer is no. There's only two options, too early and too late. <laughs> it, it is. It's like, when is the right time to hire a CFO? Well, yes. there's too early and too late. There, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a razor blade between those two options, and you're not going to get it. So go, go early or go late. Um, you know, formal advisory board, I I think there's a minority of businesses that need a formal advisory board. What what most businesses need is they need a real board. Other than at the smallest level, you need to start to, to have a real board. There's a difference between management and governance. Governance is an important role that, that, that every business needs at some stage. Um, that's really what you need. What you do need is, is advisors and mentors and, you know, I find that the best thing is to have individual conversations with those. Getting them in a room together and letting them argue with each other uh, is very time consuming. Um, I think it's helpful for some businesses in some circumstances, but have fewer, keep maintain those relationships personally rather than getting them in a room or on a Zoom together. That that's that's my experience. Uh, you know, your your mileage may vary, Sam, but that's my experience. For sure, for sure. And then just talking about your own motivation. So I think I think obviously one of the 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 big reasons we're conversating and and something I've always appreciated about you is is just your your dedication to just support companies and and the ecosystem. 
like why why is mentorship and kind of i guess passing along the knowledge so so important to you here's the here's the here's the there's two shockers right shocker number one when i when i had my small initial exit with with maple lane um, I made myself a deal that I was going to take 20% of my energy and put it back into the community. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I've pretty much done it ever since. And here is the secret, the deep, dark secret. The secret is every good thing that's ever happened to me in this business since then has come through those relationships. Every good investment, directly or indirectly, everything I've learned, all the experiences, good and bad, that I've had, all of it has come with stuff that I've given away, time that I've given away, people that I've tried to help, people that have tried to help me. It, it, all the good stuff comes out of those things. It's, it's, it's like if you look at Brad, Brad Feldon from Foundry Group, right? He has this give first mentality. It, that is what is in your commercial interest. That is what's in your financial interest. It doesn't matter how selfish and money focused you are or how open and community focused you are. The behavior that is optimal is the same. Help people out, find a way of helping people. Don't ask for anything in, in return and you will get way more than anything you could possibly ask for. Even tangible things. That's my experience. I highly recommend that attitude to everybody on this call. Ask yourself who you help today or who you're going to help tomorrow. Uh, you will ultimately be the better, the, the beneficiary of that. Mm -hmm. And and I, I want to dig a little bit deeper and, and be a little bit practical because I think I think if, if you were to ask me, hey, do I want to want to help people and, and whatever answers generally most people are going to say yes. Right. In, in the in the nitty grittiness of, of an actual day, let's say, you know, you're you're running a sprint, you got a product to push, there's bugs to squash, whatever, you got all sorts of fires and things going on in the day. And and then you got this meeting with this young entrepreneur, let's say I'm stereotyping a little bit at three o'clock, it's, it'll feel much easier to just, you know, postpone that call, hey, I got a lot of fires, whatever, how do you kind of actually mentally balance helping others while you're you're still trying to figure your own shit out to be honest yeah. with you right now and all of us are right um <laughs> you're but, describing but, every day of my life <laughs> <laughs> but like those are those are real decisions that you practically speaking have to make right yeah like and and i know it's easy for for us to kind of preach on this pedestal and be like yeah just go go spend 20 percent of your time but like i know i know because you're actually doing it what kind of pushes you through that chasm well first of all it, you don't just have to know how to help, but you have to know how to ask for help, okay? So I'm going to pick a random example here. Let's pick on Sam Chan, right? Sam wants some time from Baron, wants an hour or something to do an AMA for Launch Academy. So what does Sam do? Well, he calls Baron a month in advance, and he says, hey, do you think you can do this? We're thinking about this day. Is this possible? Can you schedule us in? Well, guess what? You just made it very easy for me to plan to help today, which I am happy to do, because the default answer is always yes for Launch Academy and for many others, right? But if you call me at, at 2.59, wanting to talk at 3 o'clock, that may not happen. I'll make a judgment at that point in time. And sometimes it has to be, you know, I'd love to talk to you. It's got to be next week, not this week. I'm sorry. I apologize. And, you know, you've got to have your priorities straight as well. But 
we we all need meditation time in our lives. We need time when we're not focused on the latest fire, when we're not kind of navel gazing at our own problems. And one of the things about taking a portion of your time and giving it to the community and to other people is it forces you to take that time out of your own uh, problems and to see the see a different world through someone else's eyes. And that'll in the end help you. And so I think it is on the priority list. And I can't answer for anyone else how to spend how to best spend their next minute. But I can tell you, if at the end of the year, you didn't take a percentage of your time and give it to other people for nothing, then you're the one who will suffer as a result of that. That's that's my observation and my belief. Terrific. Um, really appreciate your time as always, and 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 I know I know how busy of you are. Kind of just to to wrap things up. Obviously, there's people that are going to be listening to to this podcast episode. Maybe it's people outside Launch Academy. Maybe people who've never met you. There's going to be people that are inside Launch Academy that that want to build a relationship with you. Maybe they're looking for investment. Maybe looking for friends. I don't know. Um, how are how are you getting introduced to people these days? And how and and what kind of piques your interest? And and who would you like to talk to? Well, honestly, it's I get I get occasional calls from or emails from people at Launch Academy that say, "Hey, we're working with this business. You might be interested. Looks like it might be something that is of interest to you." So, I, I mean, you'll always get the most interest and the most attention if you come through somebody that we already know and have an established relationship with. And and that's not just us. That's everybody always. I do occasionally get you know, a random inbound. I try my very best to help. But the first thing I determine is whether I'm the right person to help. And if I'm just being generically asked to help and it could be anybody, then, you know, I'm 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 not going to commit as much time. I'm not, you know, I'm going to be very honest and say, hey, look, I don't, I don't think I'm the right person here. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the best quality connections always come through others. They come through people that we already know, people that we've already gone through, the process with that I, I describe or that we have a, a, you know, a long personal relationship with. And we live in a small community, right? All of us, you know, I lived for some time and worked in New York before COVID. And what you find out very quickly, I spent six years of my life in New York. You, you find out very quickly that New York is a small city and San Francisco is a small city. And it's not hard to find people to introduce you to the people that you want to meet. Um, this is possible everywhere in the world. And, you know, it's very, very hard for me to ignore an, in, in, an inbound that comes through a trusted connection. Um, that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And if you're already in the Launch Academy ecosystem, you already have access to companies that are in over 50 countries. And, and I don't actually know the stats off the top of my head. So you guys are at a head start make sure to leverage it. That's, that's all I'll say, yeah. right? Like we're here to give you guys opportunities, but we cannot connect every dot for you. So, so make sure to leverage it. Thank you, Baron, so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I don't want it to be two years before we have another conversation. I know we were supposed to meet up for, for drinks or whatever. And then obviously, you know, snap of a button, all bars and, and all coffee shops are all closing and whatever that'll um, happen so that'll happen yet don't worry <laughs> <laughs> so so i want to make sure yeah um and and like i said for those of you guys that are listening in um it's funny that you mentioned new york because our next guest on the ama show is actually gonna be from new york i'm not going to drop the name yet you guys can you know stay tuned to our socials stay tuned to our slack to see who's coming up 
Um, but really appreciate you, Baron, and appreciate everybody for, for tuning in today. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Have a good one, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.